the simplicity of the love of Jesus um, shared in a fresh way in our lives and through our church. That line is very important to us as a community. And the purpose for this series, whether you're visiting or whether you've been here and you come every Sunday if you're able, is uh, I think church can become uh, just going through the motions and can become uh, something that's quite regimented. And again, in busy seasons of life, that can be okay. However, we are meant to remind ourselves of just why we're here. And that reason is the simplicity of the love of Jesus expressed uh, through his Father uh, on the cross and beyond uh, manifest to us as his children and how that actually lives itself out. And so the teaching team crafted uh, this, these three words, uh, beloved, and we did our first two talks on looking at how the Father uh, sees us as beloved and doesn't sees us, see us as separate or autonomous. He sees us as beloved. And then last week with Carol's presentation on hope and today just building it out a bit more, looking at this idea of be loved. And that's be loved as you live out your life as a child of God. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Because as Dave so eloquently prayed during worship, we often um, shrink back into being slaves and religious and that God constantly reminds us that we are children of God, not slaves. And then next week, we're going to have the privilege of James is going to be speaking to us about be love and sharing that love in the world around us as children of God. Uh, and then we'll finish off the week after. So today, I want to look at this idea of be loved as children of God, not as slaves. And I want this talk to actually not just be an academic exercise. Um, I have some slides, I think, which will really help us mine this idea of what it means to live as a child of God. But I'd love it to be more about moving from the head into the heart. You see, God rewires our hearts at the, the, the point when we appreciate and understand Jesus as Savior and begin to live out of that place. He rewires our hearts. In the first talk, I said that um, Dallas Willard, he reminds us that all human beings are wired in four ways. We have this sense of a transcendence toward a higher power, this idea that there is something more, that there's an idea that uh, we're not alone, or at least we don't want to be. We're wired in that we want to be accepted and loved and appreciated and we want to be validated. We have this wiring to be drawn towards community and we have this wiring to love the world around us. And whether you're a Christian or not, you have these innate senses in your very being, which Dallas Willard so eloquently puts. And then as we know as Christians that um, at the fall that there was kind of a, an unplugging and these wires became confused and no longer were we plugged into that sense of experiencing these four things with clarity. They were blurred and, and that's why still people who even wouldn't be Christians have this sense of these four things being wired to their hearts. And so through Christ there's a rewiring of our hearts. And this rewiring is... is in essence, one of the key wires, the earth, if you like, in the plug, is understanding that you are a child of God through the activity and the work of Jesus Christ. He sees you like that. But you know what? Some people forget even before um, the Bible talks about it's all being children of God. Even before people become Christians, it's important that some traditions forget that. 
it's, it's this idea that when we come to faith, we actually, it's not vague or it's not um, misunderstood. It's a reality of how we live and who we are. And we, we exist with that default of being a child and loved and accepted. And all of these four things then become rewired with clarity. And today I want to look at this whole idea of be loved and living as a child and not a slave. And what does that look like? Or again, as Dave put it during the week and in the worship, not living a life of condemnation as a, as a slave uh, under the, con the conditions of religion and the heaviness of legalism, but actually the conviction of living as a child of God. I had this story which I, I wanted to open up with to, to help us really see what this means uh, to live as a child of God. Over the summer, I had the privilege, and thanks again for giving us a, a few uh, extra weeks for holidays. Um, myself and Dillis and Ethan and Alana, we took away my brother, and my brother passed away this time last year. We took my brother's family away, uh, Louise and the three girls, Rebecca, Romy, um, okay, mind blank, Amelia. I love you, Amelia. Um, we took them away on holidays, this great road trip across the States, and uh, that was really invigorating, and, and we loved it. We flourished on that trip. It was difficult as well, but there was, one, there was one moment that really struck me, and we were in Charleston, and Charleston's an amazing city. always wanted to go there, and I've read a lot about the slave trade in the States more recently, particularly with what the guys are doing at Rubicon, just trying to think about how the world is viewed to the eyes of a black person and, you know, try to understand the slave trade and, and just how abhorrent and atrocious that was in the States. And so we went to Charleston, we went to this place that used to be the building where people were traded and where slaves were sold. And uh, they haven't actually, they, they have a little exhibition in there, but they haven't changed the interior at all. So you get a sense of just what it was like, and it's, it's, it's just shocking. It was very moving. And in the exhibition, there's loads of different stories and things that you can hear and read about. But there's one part of the exhibition at the back uh, which is very powerful. And that is, you can pick up what it looks like a phone, and you can listen to, there was one lady who was in her 90s and she was talking about her life. She was, she was sold as a slave. And Alana um, went down the back and um, she was listening intently to the story of this 90-year-old woman who had been uh, taken away from her father when she was like three years old. And she was telling the story of what that was like. And she was recalling that she could still remember the separation from her father. Her mother had died. And she was ripped apart. And Lana was listening intently. And this lady was telling her story. And, and, the, and I was so moved. Uh, Alana loves going to museums. And she loves doing the whole numbering thing. We went to the Louvre. You know those audio guides? And um, there's a, like a thousand different things to listen to. Um, that was a long holiday. Anyway, <laughs> she was listening intently. And, and I went over to her and I said, you know, and she, she wasn't quite crying, but I could tell that she was really moved by this. And she said, oh, Dad, I'm just listening to this lady. And uh, she, she, she just said, look, I've lived as a slave my whole life and I've never really known my real father. And it got me thinking to um, another story with Alana then, this, this picture here. It was just taken last week, I was, wasn't shaved, you know. 
This was taken um, at the very, towards the beginning of Holy Trinity. And I was standing just where I am now, and I was preaching just like I am now. And Alana was just seated there, and she was very sort of agitated, a bit like Lena and Phoebe, Lena's age. And, and she basically was trying to get my attention. And I was like, I'm preaching here, Alana, I can't talk to you, you know. And she was waving at me and trying to, she didn't understand, you know. She was, he just couldn't quite get it. So anyway, she got so agitated, she eventually ran out of the pew and ran up and basically started pulling out my leg. And I was like, I'm preaching here, Alana, will you leave me alone? And anyway, I picked her up in my arms and I, and I stood just about here and I had to preach without the microphone. I held her in my arms for the whole talk. And I was reminded in, just during the week of this lady who lived a life of slavery. She lived a life not knowing her, her father um, for many, many years and how atrocious that was and how shocking that was. And we need to remember those stories always. And then thinking of, of little Alana and being united with me and the joy that that is. And I think there's a very practical message in that, but there's also a more important message, and that is that many people can live theologically as slaves. We can, we can live the Christian life and go through the motions and live in a place of slavery, not in that position of being welcomed and understands ourselves as a child of God. And if, if church is like that, and if our faith is just like that, and even as a pastor, I've sort of reduced myself sometimes just into religion, but if it's not like that sense of just Alana, you know, wanting to come out to be with her father, she doesn't care about what anyone thinks, she just wants to be there, she just wants to be with him, she just wants him to hold, uh, hold her, that is an essence of what it really means uh, to be a child of God, and some of us really struggle with that, given our personality, our background, our upbringing, but the Bible is very clear about how we are to live out, uh, be loved as a child of God through Jesus Christ and all he's done. Here's two scriptures that are really important in understanding this. Galatians 4, 6 to 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. And so that image of Alana, um, part of you know, being one of my heirs, uh, part of my legacy, my history, that sense of uh, all will be when I move on, Jesus sees us like that as children of God, not just with intimacy, but also in activity in what we are called to do. Another scripture, Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself, no matter how old you are or where you come from, do you feel like you can run from that place into your father's arms and be always welcomed? Well, you should, because that's what it means fundamentally to be a Christian. So we see 
Paul writing to two churches here obviously kept shrinking back and reducing back into slavehood or this idea of forgetting their, their nature of being children. But Jesus himself said it. So when you have Paul and when you have Jesus both teaching one thing, that's very, very important given they don't always agree on everything. But that's another, another sermon um, we'll get into at another time. Uh, Mark 14, 36, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's, he's about to go to the cross. And everyone has left him. His best friends, Peter, James, and John, have, 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 they were wrecked, they're exhausted, they've just been on the go for weeks and they, they just fell asleep. And Jesus finds himself kneeling, he's sweating blood, he's, he's in that place where he's, he's alone, he's isolated, he's unsure, he's fearful. Everything around him is falling apart. Everything he, he has ever known is going to change. And he's dealing with the spiritual side of the cross, but also the physical torture he is to go through. And so he doesn't uh, see God as distant or he doesn't see him as abstract or doesn't see him as a, a theory or a word on a sheet or something he's inherited from his parents. He says in Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here we see Jesus referring to God as Abba, Father. We've seen Paul refer to God as Abba, Father. What does this term Abba actually mean? When we see Jesus and Paul very different, one the Son of God, one an early church leader, what do we and what do you understand of that term and what does it mean for us today? The term Abba is only used by Jesus and Paul. Why? Well, they're very different characters, but both used it. And both were very influential, obviously Jesus more so, but they saw this sense of, of God being their Abba Father. Abba was a word used by children for their father, something like Daddy, Daddy or Papa. It was a word of intimacy in Aramaic that meant that there was deep relationship. But it was also a term of respect used by adult children for their fathers. And we also sometimes forget this. So, for example, in the Orthodox tradition, priests and bishops are still called Abba, Father. So we are dependent upon him like little children. We are free to run like Alana into his arms, run to their daddies, even in the middle of a church service. Yet we also hold God with high respect, with adult love as well. And that's why I love the word. It's not just where we can't understand it as adults. We can. It's a term of simplicity and deep respect. And Jesus was constantly talking about this idea of what it means to be a child of God. And so at the very foundation of who you are and in your understanding of Christianity, whether you're exploring it or you are in a living relationship with, with Jesus Christ, do you really see yourself as a child do you feel the, the, the restriction of the pew? Do you feel um, the people around you, the, the fear that can sometimes hold you back? Or, 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 or do you feel you could run like Alana into God's arms no matter where you are or what you're going through? Because that is the essence of what Paul is saying and what Jesus was saying. And 
this story really underlines that in a very practical way. Understanding and living out of the child of God can lead to embarrassment. It can lead to people scorning you. It can lead to, wow, that's a bit weird, isn't it? That's a bit strange. That's not what we do. That's not what God is like. In Mark 10, 13 to 16, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. I think there's a slide for this. There might not be. There could be. But the disciples rebuked them. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. You see, the, the order and the time of Jesus was very much about religion and it was very much about legalism. It was the Jewish understanding which was very much rooted in keeping the rules and following the orders in a priestly system. And so the disciples rebuked and said, no, no, children aren't welcome here. Keep the children away. They, they, they have no place with Jesus. But when Jesus saw people acting like this, what did he say? He was indignant. Do you know what that word means? It's like he was really angry. He was cheesed off. He was like, no, this is really important that the children come to me not just as a physical representation, but as a representation of what it means to be a Christian. He said to them with indignancy, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Here's the hard bit. Truly, I tell you, not to the children, to us, to, the, to, to like the adults of the day, truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the child in his arms. He placed his hands on the child and he blessed them in front of them all. And that's a, a beautiful, nice story we've grown up with, and we, we see it in churches. And it is very beautiful when we think about the surface level of who Jesus is, welcoming children and open. But on a much deeper level, what, what Jesus is doing is reorientating what it means to be in faith with him. And coming like a child, for Alana, as I said, she didn't care what people thought about her. She didn't, uh, her, her inhibitions didn't hold her back. And I think the older we get and the more we become involved in church, uh, the more life wears us down, the more we get busy, the more we have conflict with people, the more our boss is treating us hard, the more all the things happen in life, we, we retract back to the state where we no longer want to run to that place. And if you're like that today, if you're in that space, the arms of the Abba Father are open wide for you to welcome you to that place in front of everyone, to take you in his arms, to place his gentle hands on you and bless you. And so this is a really important uh, question for us. Do, do we live as slaves or do we live as children? Our characteristics, N.T. Wright says this, our characteristics and behavior will help identify us and to what extent we are acting out of a spirit of slavery, of religion, of, of bondage, of feeling we have to follow the rules, of, of feeling that we don't have that access to God. Almost none of us will fall completely into one category or the other, and that's important to notice. A spirit of slavery is often the product of poor nurture, unhealed wounds that you bring to your church community, brokenness in your life, but it also can be generational. 
These are very serious things and not to be taken lightly or in a trite fashion. But it is important to know at its very essence, the church is a welcoming community where all are welcomed into the arms of the Abba Father to receive healing from that brokenness. And so I would just like to ask us um, in a very practical way in this last slide here as I close out in a few moments with prayer. I don't know if you can see this, but a few years ago I did a really good course called the Sonship Course. And I was asking this question, do you live as a slave or do you live as a son or as a child? And I don't know if you can see that. Um, I had to, uh, a funeral yesterday, I wasn't able to do my slides as usually as, as good as I can, but on the left is what it means to live from this place of, of slavery, on the right what it means to live with the heart of God, and in the center are the various categories around how you view God, uh, how you view dependency, your theology, your security, your need for approval, your motives for service, why do you help out in church, why do you do, you do anything? and your motive for growth. Why, why do you uh, believe that you're meant to grow in your faith? And so just for a moment, uh, look at each of those categories and do you see God as master? Or do you see him as a loving father? Do you have to be independent and self-reliant and always on top of things? Or can you say, I just need you, God. I just need to run from that pew and hold, go into your arms. Do you live by legalism and following the rules? Do you live by grace? And rules aren't always necessarily bad, as I keep telling my teenager, but that's another sermon again. Uh, security, uh, insecure, lack peace, are able to abide and rest in love in the arms of the Father, his gentle hands and his blessing. Do you strive for praise, approval? Or are you totally accepted by God's love and justified by grace? Your motive to serve, is it a need to impress God and others? Or have no motivation at all because you just zone out and tap out? Or are you motivated by a deep gratitude to God and that leads you into service? And lastly, is your motive for growth in the Christian life have to be holy so God loves me? Or is it I want to be holy so I can love others as Jesus loved me as a child? Again, N.T. Wright says, the Christian life is defined by either following the laws or living by love. At the end of his book, on the quest for the historical Jesus, he simply finishes with the question, are you a slave or are you a child? And so I'd love to invite the band back up. And I'd love us to have a chance to renew that sense of seeing God as Father that sense of the reality of just running as Alana did into God's arms of receiving his embrace and the guys are going to sing a song I'd love us to sit for this I'd love us called Good Good Father which is a well known song I'd love to just pray that the spirit would uh, touch our hearts and help us move uh, from left to right from slavery uh, into a childhood allow God to rewire our hearts afresh to plug us back in to this understanding of be loved, live as a child of God, not a slave. So I'm going to pray for us 
And I'd love the guys to play this song with the words and allow him to run from the pew. Maybe you will. I'm not catching you. Maybe Joe will. But metaphorically, this is really important, guys. This is the essence of what it means to be Christian. It's really, really important. Father, you are a good father. And I sensed as I was preaching that line about unhealed wounds and brokenness and nurture, they're very, as N.T. Wright said, they're very important things and not to be taken in a trite fashion and they're very, you know, complex. But I pray if any of us are feeling that sense of slavery, that today would be a day even if it's the beginning of a journey and if people need counselling or help with these things, we're here to help them. But I just pray, God, that more and more we would be a community of children, of free children. So may your spirit move in our hearts as we hear this song. You're a good father. Come, Holy Spirit. We run into your arms, Father. Father.